Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast is a Christ-centered podcast established in 2019 and hosted weekly by Pastor Chris Busher, addressing a host of topics such as the Great Commission, Christian discipleship, and often featuring interviews with special guests who are experts in their field. The views and events expressed on this podcast and all related materials belong solely to their author and not necessarily to the author's employer, organization, committee, or other group or individual. While all attempts are made to present accurate information, some information may become outdated over time. Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast makes every attempt to timely update any and all such information. Without further delay, here's another powerful episode of Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast. Once again, I am your host, Dallas Montague, and here in the studio today, we have another amazing guest, Danielle Beal. Danielle, it's so great to have you here today. How are you today? I'm good, Dallas. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. And where are you calling from today? I am in Eastville, California. It's in the Inland Empire. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm close to Corona, Riverside area. Is that where you grew up as well? Or did you grow up in a different part of the States? No, I grew up um, further into the desert, uh, Victorville, California. Um, that's where I spent most of my childhood until I left for college. And then I moved to Long Beach. And then now we're back in the Inland Empire. I've only been to California a few times, and I haven't really got a good perspective of it. I just went to Disneyland and, you know, some things like this. But oh, yeah. nothing too big. <laughs> yeah, that's actually where I tell people um, that we're close to Disneyland if they don't have a frame of reference. So that's perfect. Well, again, it's great to have you here today. And I'm really interested in your testimony. I was speaking with your husband before the podcast today, and you have such an amazing testimony. And I've actually mentioned it to my wife and a few other people of how excited I am to speak with you today. It's going to be so great for people to hear this story. And so before we get into it, can you just share a little bit of your testimony with our listeners today? Some questions like how you met Christ, how it changed your life, and why you're still a believer today. And then feel free to share anything else about your testimony that you would like us to know. Okay, so I will try to condense as much as I can to lead you to where I am mm -hmm. today. So I grew up um, in a very broken home. My mom um, was a prostitute when she gave birth to me. Um, she found herself in jail for murdering my father um, in self-defense. And that was how I was born into this world and seemingly um, the life that I would lead. Um, I was in and out of foster homes um, as a result of abuse by different men that were in and out of her life. Um, and I um, didn't have any direction. I didn't have any guidance. I was neglected. And then sometime around high school, I met a woman who um, was a friend of a, a, a a, was the mother of a friend. And she asked me when I was 16 years old, what are you doing with your life? Where are you going to college? And at that point, I had been um, the primary caretaker of my siblings and my mom. And I hadn't even thought about college. And when I told her that she was like, nope, you are going to college, you're getting out of Victorville, California, and you're going to go do great things. And so she um, bought me my luggage set on my 18th birthday, filled out 
about college applications, dropped me off at Long Beach State University, and um, said, go be great, have a great life. Well, as soon as I got to Long Beach State, um, I kind of lost my mind for a minute. I hadn't had much direction or um, an idea about what I wanted my life to look like other than that I didn't want it to look like my mom's and how we grew up. And I got pregnant my very first semester in college. And um, my daughter's father um, was, it was a, a really tough relationship. It was abusive. It was starting to become abusive. And my daughter's godfather, who was a really good friend of my, of her dad, um, ended up being diagnosed with cancer. He, I went to the funeral where his fought, where his pastor, um, you know, proceeded over the, the funeral and he made a call for salvation. And I had just had my baby. I had no direction, but felt this powerful call from God, call to action to give my life to Christ. I didn't know what that had meant because, again, I hadn't really had any direction and um, became saved that day, started attending the church. And um, fun fact, that pastor who met me when I was 19 years old um, is still our pastor today, and he actually married my husband and I. Um, so it was, you know, through that time that he really taught me how to become a worshiper, and it was in worship that I found a, a deep, deep um, relationship with God and really um, mm -hmm. have navigated, navigated my spiritual relationship, um, you know, and, and the way that I live my life and how I navigate kind of the challenges that have come up in my childhood and, and even now as an adult. Mm -hmm. Wow. It's amazing how God puts people in our life to guide us and direct us on his path, right? Yes. How God put the pastor in your life. Wow. Very cool. Yes. It is. And not just pastor, but like so many other people, which, you know, I'm sure we'll get to. But, mm. um, you know, I always say I don't have um, roots. I don't have a, like a foundation because I don't have any family. But God has placed these people in my life who have created really strong branches that hold me down. Um, and it's because of these people that God is placing in my life that, you know, that, that just kind of ground me and keep me stable. So yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. And just from hearing you say that I could respond and say, you no longer have to say, I don't have a foundation, but you could say, I didn't yes. have a foundation in the past because now you now do. Now right? I do. Yes. Amazing. You're absolutely right, Dallas. That's <laughs> absolutely right. You're listening to the Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast. We'll be right back after this quick word from our sponsors. Introducing Elevated Recovery at ElevatedRecovery.org. Would you like to regain control of your life from compulsive sexual behaviors such as sex and porn addiction, which is disrupting your happiness, career, and other relationships? Does your professional position or prominence in your community make traditional recovery impossible for you? Elevated Recovery is an online addiction recovery service for busy professionals. They have successfully guided hundreds of high-achieving men and their partners through uncontrollable sexual behaviors. Behaviors such as serial affairs, porn addiction, habits of patronizing prostitutes, and other situations that have left well-meaning good men open to the risks of divorce, job loss, sexual harassment litigation, and severe underachievement in their own lives. At Elevated Recovery, their clients include top-performing sales professionals, business owners, physicians, 
celebrity broadcast personalities, professional athletes, lawyers, engineers, and politicians from over 20 countries. Elevated Recovery is endorsed by therapists, mental health professionals, marriage counselors, and relationship experts from around the globe. Learn more by visiting the website elevatedrecovery.org. That's elevatedrecovery.org. Go check it out now. You can also connect on Instagram, Elevated Recovery, and connect on Facebook, Porn Reboot, and follow on Twitter at Reboot Porn. Okay, very good. Well, I do want to ask, why are you a believer today? After you've had all these struggles, after you have all these things happening in your life, why are you still a believer today? Because I have developed this faith that the only reason I'm here today is because, and it makes me emotional every time I think about it, because God did not let go of me. I can think of times. I mean, first of all, when I think about how I was born and the childhood that I have, I, I always, you know, tell people as I, you know, talk with young adults and, and women who are kind of struggling in their own challenges, I should be strung yeah. out somewhere, you know, based on where I came from. Um, really with no concept of self or how to to love other people, how to give. Um, But it was in this church and the relationships that I built in that church and my pastor teaching me how to become a worshiper that I developed faith. Um, And so when I think about everything that I have, and it's not tremendous, um, you know, overcoming anxiety and deep, deep, deep clinical depression and self-hatred and lack of self-worth. Um, I realize now looking back that God has always had his hand on my life. When I think about the things that could have happened, you know, even in, you know, me being a teenage mother and having, you know, my baby, you know, getting pregnant my very first semester in undergrad, um, all the different ways that my life could have Mm -hmm. derailed. You know, I have siblings on both my mom's side and my dad's side who, you know, are strung out and are, you know, lost in the world. And I think about me, I know that the only reason I'm here is because God's hand was on me and he never let me go. And again, when I think about all the different ways that my life could have derailed, Um, the only reason why it didn't derail was because God was Mm -hmm. here. And that's why I continue to serve God in the best capacity that I know how I continue to share my testimony, um, because I realize where, you know, I, I, I could be. And after hearing your testimony, it makes me think of my own testimony. You said, um, before the podcast, you got married six years ago, mm-hmm. and it's only been about four years since I was in my strung out mm. life on drugs with nothing left. And I had to enter into a program called Adult and Teen oh. Challenge and found Christ through that. And so, I mean, talking about your testimony and how God always had his hand on your life, I could say the same yeah. about mine. It's yeah, incredible it's how he never lets us go. He never forgets us. Even when we forget yeah. him, he never yeah. forgets us. That's 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 why I'm still here is because when I think about how yeah. I misused the relationship or how I took him for granted or how I took the blessings that he had given me and the lessons that he had been trying to teach me, when I think about how I mistreated and misused that and to still be in my right mind today and to still have healthy relationships and be in a beautiful marriage and have you know, beautiful children. Um, that's the exact reason why I'm, I'm here serving because I owe God so Mm -hmm. much more than I think, you know, I I've ever deserved. Yes, I definitely, I definitely hear that Dallas. 
And I want to ask from your testimony, how have you found a voice to speak up and to help other people with a similar background? Because I think a lot of people who would have this type of background would want to be silent Mm -hmm. and not tell people out of fear or out of rejection or something like this. Yeah. So this is a really kind of critical part of my, of, of, of me just now starting to talk about, you know, my testimony. So I'm, I'm 42 and I always have always said, I'm, I'm like a bird with a broken wing and I've had to fly with this broken wing my whole life. And I've never really had a voice. I've always been ashamed of my background and ashamed of the choices that I made in life and ashamed of my childhood. And so I've never talked about this stuff openly. I've shared it, you know, in in personal relationships. You know, my husband knows everything. My daughters, you know, know a lot of stuff. But I've never really shared this because I was um, consumed by shame, um, and embarrassment and, um, ugliness I felt. And so, um, I went back to grad school. I'm actually in school to complete my PsyD in clinical psychology. And I'm sitting in class my very first semester and I'm sitting there, this little, you know, black girl, this is how I imagine myself with this broken wing sitting in a university with my cohort, wondering how did I end up here? Like it hit me sitting in that class as my professor is talking about this, you know, three-year journey. And I started reflecting. And in that moment, I literally just started praising God and like realizing like, oh my God, he's brought me here. And so in this, in this kind of moment that I had sitting in this classroom, we have to decide on a dissertation topic. And a dissertation is um, a student's own research that allows them to become a doctor, an expert in that research material. And so I started thinking about my life and I was thinking, how does someone that came from where I came from and you know, gets pregnant, finish, you know, undergrad, and then goes on to get their master's and then goes on to get their certification in, um, I'm also a BCBA, it's a board certified behavior analyst who works with children and families with autism, and now is like on track to um, obtain a doctor degree. How does someone like me end up here? And so I'm thinking about my research topic and I decide that I'm going to write on the resiliency in black women who've overcome trauma in their childhood. And so along my journey, that was kind of the seed that was planted. And then along my journey, I start having to interview other women. And for the first time in my life, I'm coming in contact with women who share a lot of the same experiences that I had. And I realized my voice isn't mine. It's not, it doesn't belong to me. Like I have to share my story because even in just the interviews that I was having with other women, I was finding strength and pride and um, really my testimony in that like this God doesn't want me to, this isn't shameful. This isn't embarrassing. This is like a testimony and me starting to share this is going to help other women. And so that was kind of another seed that had, had, that, that seed had started to grow a little bit. And then finally in my internship, 
I, you know, chose to work in Pomona, California, where my mom, that's where I was actually born, was a victim of domestic abuse um, and violence. And she would go to shelters out there. And um, there's a lot of trauma, you know, in my in my young early childhood in Pomona, California. And I chose an internship in that area. And I started coming in contact with women that specific specifically reminded me of my mother and I'm working with their children who remind me of me and are sharing so many intimate details of the trauma and the abuse that they've experienced. And I started to find courage in being able to share, you know, some of those intimacies. Um, and so over the course of almost now three years that I, I've been in school, have really started to, to say this isn't just my story, that I can share this and that I can help other people, not just in close intimate relationships, but really on a bigger scale. And that began really the journey of me starting to go out and share it and not just like, hey, this is what happened to me, but hey, listen, this is my testimony. This is how great God yeah. is. This is is what he's mm -hmm. done for me and you can access it too yeah it's amazing and you say that you're an expert oh, okay maybe you didn't say this but as an expert <laughs> it's a person <laughs> as an expert it's a person who has the education the mm -hmm. experience through that and then also the experience with living it right and yeah. so with you talking to these people these women's children who you experienced who remind you of your mom, working mm -hmm. with these children who remind you of you. I mean, that's an expert in my mind, someone who yeah. can relate, someone who knows the feelings, the emotions that these children are going through. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and it's not been easy, you know, because I struggle with imposter syndrome, you know, and I know that that's the years of trauma that I, that I suffered and really like finding confidence in my voice, in my story, mm -hmm. in my expertise, like... God gave me these opportunities to develop these skills, you know, that I, you know, never thought I was worthy of. But for the first time in my life, I'm recognizing, no, I am. I am an expert because I have put in not just like, hey, I, I've gone to school and I've learned these things, but I've been in the trenches with my families and with these survivors. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I know from firsthand experience, it's not just like, hey, yeah, this is a part of my story, but deep, deep, deep rooted pain, you know, and trauma and, um, and, and, you know, and most people can't really relate. They can, you know, like sympathize and say, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But they don't have mm -hmm. this deep empathy to really understand. And I've realized in this past year, I have that skill. That's a skill that God gave me. That's a gift that I have. I'm emp empathetic and I can really resonate with, with these survivors and, you know, and even the children who, you know, in my other, you know, kind of area of expertise, the, the, the children I work with, with the developmental delays, like I can relate on a level that most people, you know, don't even have access to. Yeah. And your business, I want to talk about that for a second. Is this a private business or are you working for a corporation or something? So I am a small business owner. Um, I established Loving Hands Family Support Services in 2015, me and my business partner. And really how this concept um, was birthed was I was finding that I was having a hard time um, you know, experiencing growth in, in, in my field as a 
black woman, um, you know, who kind of, you know, I, I have developmental, you know, challenges of my own. I have cognitive processing issues just from the years of trauma. And so I've had to navigate my schooling, my education, my employment, um, you know, very, very, it's been a difficult challenge. And so Loving Hands is really birthed um, from the way that I was treated as an employee um, and the way that I saw other employees being treated. And so really, I wanted to create a space that would foster growth and would help people develop their professional skills, specifically black and brown um, clinicians who weren't being given opportunities. I wanted to serve in underserved communities, um, you know, working for these large organizations. I was finding that really a lot of populations weren't being served because they couldn't afford services or they didn't have access to resources. And so Loving Hands was really this idea that anyone who worked with me and my team would feel like that they were in Loving Hands. They were literally being held by Loving Hands. Um, and so that's what we do. We access underserved communities. We give voices to people who feel like they don't have voices. Um, we're helping parents navigate, um, you know, the diagnosis diagnosis of autism. Um, so that's what Loving Hands does. Wow. Incredible. And you said you've been doing this for about five years. Yes. Yeah. It'll be six years um, in March, actually. It's very exciting. Yes. And so finding your voice and finding your identity in Christ, and I think this is such a huge importance of believers and non-believers. We are created in the image of God. We need to know who we are mm-hmm. And our image is like Christ, right? And so mm-hmm. I want to ask, what would be your advice to our listeners today to help find their own identity in Christ and not who their mistakes say that they are and not what the world says that they are, even for who you say that you are, you know, but to getting our image yeah. and our identity from Christ? Yeah, that's such a good question. Um, so I, you know, I'm a behavior analyst by, by trade and, and it's my passion. And, and a part of what a behavior analyst is, is, um, having quantifiable, um, objective kind of goals, right? Or actionable steps. So the idea of God can be very overwhelming because it's not tangible, right? Faith isn't tangible. God isn't tangible. Um, and I can't tell you specifically what it is, uh, you know, that makes me know and trust and live a life where he's guiding it, right? There's nothing that I can touch or smell or taste. Mm-hmm. But when I think about this question, I think about what um, what got me to the point where I would put my trust and my faith and my livelihood and everything that I do is led by God, you know, how do you get to that point? And so the advice that I would have for listeners who are trying to find their identity is finding people who love God. So at 19, there's not a day that goes by that I don't thank God for my pastor. And this was something that was significant in my journey. So I, you know, I I accepted this call for salvation. I joined this church. I didn't really understand what all of it meant because, again, I didn't have a framework. I was just lost with this new baby. Um, A part of the story I hadn't told you about was my mom had died during this time, and I adopted my 11-year-old brother. So at 19, 20 years old, I found myself with two children trying to break generational curses that had plagued me. Um, and so I go to this church. I don't really know what it means. I'd missed three Sundays because I was taking care of my mom's, um, 
you know, cremation and memorial services. And I came back and one of the pastors from the church said, hey, Danielle, we've missed you for the past three weeks. And I remember, like, I I have this visual that I'll never forget. My mouth hit the floor, and I was Mm -hmm. absolutely stunned that he knew my name and that he knew I had missed three Sundays. And so I told him, yeah, my mom just died. You know, I, I, I don't know what to do. I have to adopt my brother. He's still in school in Victorville. I'm here in Long Beach. I don't know what to do. And... That very next day, him and the senior pastor who I spoke about earlier and a bunch of women from the Benevolence Committee um, came to my house and they prayed for me. And I get so emotional talking about this. And they gave me food and they gave me access to resources. Um, they gave me a lawyer so I can start the process of adopting my little brother. And they helped navigate me to a space where I could believe that there was something good in people. And, and I saw God. And so my first piece of advice would be identify people who you trust, who will give you honest feedback, who can really help you look at who you are. Um, the second piece of advice would be identify people who challenge you. Um, you know, they're going to call you out on all of your crap. You know, you do something wrong. They're going to challenge you. They're going to um, expect you to do better for yourself because that's exactly what I had. Um, you know, these pastors and the friendships that I'd formed in this church. I mean, I was a part of these groups that really I was out, you know, making really poor decisions. And they were like, Danielle, what are you doing? You know, and they would help me look at alternatives. If you do this, this is what's going to happen. Um, So that would be my second piece. And then the, the third, the third piece would be learning to let go of anything or anyone who doesn't serve you. So a big kind of, as I reflect back on my journey, and especially during those early years of me getting to know Christ, I really had to make decisions about people who were in my life who weren't serving me, or who weren't serving my children, or who weren't um, in my life, you know, that that served my best interest. And that was a skill that I had to develop because I was so needy for attention and love and you know, companionship, I really would cling on to anyone who showed love. That's how I I found myself, you know, pregnant at, at, you know, my first semester in college. And so I had to really learn to set boundaries for myself, but I couldn't do that if I didn't have people in my corner kind of letting me know, like, this is what, this is right and this is wrong. So that would be my advice is to really establish people who you see God in because, that trust and and those relationships are what help to cultivate finding that identity for yourself. Amazing. I love how you're speaking out of experience and not just from knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. It makes it so much more genuine. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been, yeah, I, I just, I, I don't even know how to articulate the thoughts I have behind it, but yeah, it's experience. And, and if, if I can help anyone and just kind of, you know, like this is what needed to happen. And I fought it tooth and nail. Like I fought it. I still do on some levels, but as I, you know, I'm deeply reflective and I look back on, on my life and how I navigated those times, 
this is God kind of revealing himself, you know, and, and how I got through, you know, again, I talk about being a behavior analyst and what, what were the concrete things? And this is how God presented himself in my lives. We're, we're placing these people in my lives and me, you know, learning from Mm -hmm. them. And I do want to touch, you said generational curses for our listeners who are not familiar with that is what is this? And you said breaking a generational curse. Can you go into that a little bit more as well? (sighs) Yes. So this is just a big kind of discussion that I I have all the time because I recognized it more recently as I'm doing trauma work and, and helping other survivors kind of heal their trauma. A generational curse is, um, you know, it can be, you know, addiction. It could be, um, you know, abuse. Um, so let me go back a little bit, Dallas. And, and so, a couple years ago, I was asked to do an assignment for class, and we were asked to do a genogram. And a genogram is this big kind of picture. It's like circles and squares, but you're basically identifying like as many generations as you can of your family. So it's not just a family tree, but you're specifically kind of pinpointing things that get passed down generationally. So for instance, my mom was a runaway. She ran away at six years old. Um, she came, her mother came from a broken home. Her dad um, was strict and abusive. And so because my mom had access to this way of life, when she ran away and met my dad and became a prostitute and found herself pregnant at 19 and then had to defend herself and then murdered him and then, you know, ended up being in jail, she was repeating some of the same trauma cycles. And then, you know, my mom had a sister who was the product of who was the product of rape. And then she met another man who was abusive to her and abusive to us, which resulted in us being placed in foster homes. So these are cycles of abuse. Yeah. And in my mom's case, they actually got worse as they perpetuated. They they grew exceedingly worse. And so I always knew at a young age that I did not want to be like my mom, but I did not know what to do to change it. And when I found myself pregnant at 19 with a man who was on the road to becoming abusive, he hadn't put his hands on me to a severe degree at that point, but he was psychologically abusive. He was emotionally abusive. Um, I realized that if I didn't do something different, that those traumas, Mm-hmm. Right. The drug abuse and, um, you know, the the physical abuse and the potential to, you know, have my own child end up in foster homes. And I knew that I had to do something different. And so it was at that point where I really said, OK, I've got to get serious. So I ended up, you know, leaving her dad. And up until that point, I'd kind of played around with drugs and alcohol, nothing harsh, but I hadn't really had a sense that I shouldn't do these things. And I knew like, if I don't go crazy Mm -hmm. with it, I won't end up with Gloria, but still I just hadn't had a foundation yet. And so at six weeks, my baby was six weeks old and her dad and I got in a huge fight and I was just like, that's it. This is it. I cannot do this anymore. Um, Long story short, he ended up, we ended up getting in a fight. I ended up getting put out of the apartment that we shared and living Mm -hmm. in my car 
for three weeks before a friend found me and invited me to live with her and her mom. But those are the curses. Those are the traumas that can easily be repeated because it's all you see. It's the model that you see. You don't have a framework for anything else. And this is what you see as correct and appropriate and right. And that's what I had seen my whole life. And it wasn't until I found myself in those curses, in those cycles, that I was like, I have to make a choice. So so it was when I was homeless living in my car that I was like, I've got to go back to school. I can't go back and Mm -hmm. live with my mom, right? Because I'm going to end up staying in Victorville. So I decided to live in my car for three weeks until I figured out a game plan, right? Those were the things that I needed to do to break those curses. Deciding at a young age, you're not going to drink Danielle, right? You're going to head each problem full speed ahead. You're not going to, you know, drown them. You're not going to. And I had to get a focus and a skill that I didn't know how to obtain because I had never seen that. So that's what a generational curse. It's those cycles of trauma that are really easy to break. And it takes intention um, and it takes a thoughtfulness and it takes a determination to ensure that those cycles stop so that they don't get passed on through my children and their Mm -hmm. children and their children, because that can very easily happen, Dallas. And I do want to ask from your education background, is this generational curse a Christian word, or is this also something that the secular world identifies as well? No. So actually, as far as I understand, generational curses are Christian, but in my, you know, as I'm, you know, moving into this mental health space as a clinical psychologist, they call them generational traumas. Mm. Um, that's okay. kind of the the term that they use, and I use them you know, interchangeably. Um, but they do have, you know, through the genie, uh, the genogram that I did a couple years ago, that's when I realized that what I was looking at was a generational curse. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think Bowen is the psychologist who um, coined the term generational trauma. Okay, great. Yeah, thank you for going into that a little bit more. I'm not, I, I was familiar with it, but I didn't know if, if all of our listeners were. So thank you. No, you're welcome. And another question, I do want to talk about your business just for the next few minutes. And so you're working Mm -hmm. with women and children with autism, and then you said a few other things as well. Can you just give us a little bit more information? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I'm actually working with families and children with with loving hands. So again, I started this in 2015, and this is where I'm really helping families access resources that they couldn't typically access. So we're, um, you know, helping them with the diagnosis and we're helping them navigate autism because it's a spectrum disorder. There's a range of what this looks like. So we have mild, you know, forms of autism where there's some speech delays or some cognitive processing delays, but then there's more intense, um, and really uh, cognitively impacted cases where children, um, you know, can be institutionalized. So I tend to work with um, early childhood development is, is is my love. So I love working with babies zero to three. That's my, that's, mm-hmm. you know, just kind of where my heart is. But um, I work all the way up to adulthood. And, and now I do a lot of consulting for really aggressive type behaviors, you know, um, the community doesn't really know uh, about autism in general. And so living in 
Southern California um, and with the climate that we're living in, you know, there's a lot going on socially and, and there's a lot of injustice happening. A lot of our children, you know, who are growing up, aging out, 18, 19, 20 years old, are having a hard time managing their behaviors. And so when they go into extreme episodes, police are being called. Um, our children, you know, are being, you know, handcuffed and fought and tasered and sometimes even shot and killed. And so what I'm really doing is, again, it's a spectrum anywhere from going into homes to help, you know, kind of work on specific skills all the way to mediating um, kind of the relationship between these children and the police departments and the mental health kind of field so that our children aren't being misunderstood and that we are working with them and their families um, to keep them safe, to keep the community safe. So that's kind of the spectrum of the services that I provide uh, specifically with Loving Hands and the children and families with autism. Wow. It sounds like an amazing business. <laughs> it's, it's I, yeah, I've been in the field for 22 years and it is a deep, deep um, passion of mine. And, and I think going back to something you said earlier, one of the ways that I've been able to kind of overcome some of those generational curses and trauma is is serving, being able to really you know, help someone else, mm -hmm. you know, it gets me out of my own kind of head and my own space and really being of service to others is, is something that I, I just, again, I, I cannot thank God enough because that was him dropping a seed. You know, when I found this field, he dropped a seed and it just has grown and blossomed. And it's really an honor to be able to serve the children that I serve and their families. Mm -hmm. And I want to say working in ministry, I've worked in ministry for just a few years, but not as much as you, and working at an addiction center, I've heard a lot of testimonies, mm -hmm. a lot of horror stories, mm -hmm. a lot of trauma, a lot of things mm -hmm. like this. But the best part of the testimony is always the end when they say, God changed my life. The best part is always when they say, yeah. I got up, or God restored my family, God restored yeah. my wife. That's the best part. And so I do have to say my favorite part of your testimony is when you got up at 19 and God changed your life dramatically and now you're here today at 42 yeah. and things are completely different. It's affecting your children's life and their children and their children, just like you said, generationally. So yeah. again, thank you so much for being a part of the show today. It was a wonderful podcast. I'm, I'm blown away. It was so good. And what would you say is your overall message for your appearance here today? So my message is um, learning, you know, if I could just sum it up in like three things, Dallas. Um, again, I, I don't know if you can tell I like just exude kind of passion and talking about this, um, but learning to love yourself, like that's kind of the the, the, the takeaway, learning to love yourself. Um, that takes a commitment. You really have to like spend time finding out what makes you happy. You know, I, you know, we didn't even get to talk about a lot of this stuff, but depression, you know, I think I mentioned like I was in a mm -hmm. deep, deep clinical depression and I had to literally learn how to find joy. You know, there were days that I could not get out of bed. You know, I was suicidal and I don't want to say I was suicidal because I, but I, I entertained the idea, you know, I just did not want to live. And, um, a way that I had to get through that was to learn to love myself, to learn to forgive myself, to learn to forgive my mother, to learn to forgive 
you know, the people who had deeply, deeply wounded me and, and broke my wing, you know, because at, at one point in time in my life, I felt like that was intentional. Like you intentionally broke mm. this wing and you damaged me for the rest of my life. But I had to learn to let go of that. And I couldn't do that without learning to love myself. So it started by me finding joy, right? Finding things that every single day I could look forward to. And for me, it started out me getting out of the house and looking at God's beauty. I mean, I would get out, sit on my porch and just thank God for the sun, that I could feel the sun on my skin and know that God was up there and that he had me and that I wasn't lost. I think the second message that I have is show yourself grace. That's a lesson that I really, really had to learn over the years. It's easy to beat yourself up for the mistakes that you've made, for the way that, you know, maybe you may feel responsible for how other people have treated you. Um, this journey isn't easy. Life isn't easy. I know that more than anyone. I think I, I heard a part of your testimony, Dallas. You know that life isn't mm-hmm. easy. Um, but if you can understand that every step you take is a learning opportunity and you can make a mistake, and you can get back down, but guess what? You can get back Mm -hmm. up again. Um, And so my second, you know, kind of message would be to show yourself grace because we're all figuring this out and we're all learning. And then I think finally um, is really utilizing every experience that you have as an opportunity to grow. Whatever you're going through is temporary. You know, I look back on my life and I thought that at 19, being a single mom, that I was going to end up like my mom. Mm -hmm. Like, I thought that was it. And who knew that I would graduate from college, first generation, right? It took me seven years with two children, but I did it. And I thought, oh, my God, this is the biggest achievement of my entire life. And I thought that was it. But guess what? I started to serve children and their families. And then I realized that I was valuable, that I was becoming a servant leader, that my values and that my um, commitment to these families and their babies helped make me a better person, you know, so it this is temporary. God's got you. And, you know, again, you know, kind of tying back into what we were talking about earlier, God has his hand on you. He has forgotten you. Um, It's up to us to kind of navigate that, but we have to know and trust that he's there kind of cheering us on. And if we stop and we can kind of quiet the noise enough, then we can actually hear him, you know, kind of pumping his fist and saying, I've got Mm -hmm. you. Wow. Well, you have an incredible testimony. Thank you so much, Danielle, for being a part of the show today. And if I can have you in the podcast with a prayer, I would really appreciate it. Absolutely. Um, Heavenly Father, I just ask that anyone listening to this message near and far, that they know that that you're with them, Lord God. I ask that you just build a hedge of protection around each and every one of them, that you give them the strength and the courage to find their voices, to learn to love themselves, to give themselves grace, Lord God. I ask that you bless them from the tops of their heads to the bottom of their toes, that you teach them, that you stand with them, that you walk with them, that you help them break any generational curses or demons that are coming up for them. Let them know that you are here with them and that you love them and that you will not leave them. Lord. Lord, let them hear your voice. Let them become deaf to anything that is not of you. Let them become blind to anything that is not of you, Lord. Whisper in their ears continuously and allow them to to hear that so that they can make steps 
to live the kind of lives that you want them to lead, Lord God. I thank you for your grace, Lord God. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your loving kindness, Lord God. Thank you, God, for being the head of our household. Thank you for being the head of our lives. Thank you for all that you do for us. We praise your glorious name. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You've just listened to the Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast. With your host, Pastor Chris Busher. Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast was recorded live in studio with final editing made before uploading. Subscribe today to Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast on iTunes or Google Play. For more fantastic daily content, visit Pastor Chris Busher online via Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Don't miss the next episode on Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast.